Let me give you some words, okay? Religion, occult, cults, Christianity. We hear things like that. We people say, are you very religious? Or this is a religion, you know, Christianity is a religion, or this is a religion. And then people talk about the occult. What is the occult? And then people talk about cults, like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. They say that's a cult. And some people talk about the occult. And then people say Christianity. Well, let, let's talk about some of those terms for just a second. The first one just is religion. And here's what I, when I think about religion, religion is man trying to please God. Religion is something that man does. It, it's anything basically contrary to the truth of the Bible, and it's where people all over, whether you know whether you call it uh, Islam or whatever you, call, you can call it, all, they're all religions all throughout the world which people try to do something to get to God. Then we think of Christianity. True Christianity is God-pleasing God. It is God who so loved the world that he gave his son, that salvation is a gift by faith. And Christianity is not a set of rules or that kind of thing in order to gain pleasure with God and to gain eternal life with God. Eternal life with God is a gift, and we live to bring honor and glory to him. There's a third thing, which is the word the occult. Occult deals uh, with magic, Satanism, false religions, Power. There is there is the occult, and there is a demonic forces in the world, and there is aspects of that. It's it's in religion as well, but it is also just something that people talk about and say the occult. and And you got to be really really careful when because there's the occult is out there. Satan is the one being worshipped in the occult, and ultimately, even in all false religions, Satan is the one being worshipped. And then the last word is the word cult, and the word cult means it's like an it's like a movement or a offshoot of Christianity. Christianity. They'll take truths from Christianity and they'll use them, but they'll add other things to them, like Jehovah's Witnesses or, or Mormons or Mary Baker Eddy, you know, all of those kind of movements. Uh, they're, they're, we call them cults because they go back and they use the name of Jesus and they, they even the Transcendental Meditation and the New Age movement uses Jesus. They talk about the Christ, and they say the Christ is already in the world and that kind of thing. You know, I have a full-page ad. I can't find it. I had it in my notes, but I have a full-page ad from the, from the uh, USA Today about 20 years ago, and it said the Christ is here now. And the whole full-page ad was someone, a group, saying that the Christ was here. He hadn't revealed himself yet. One of these days he would. And, and that, that, that's, it's a cult. And they have different names for those organizations. So when you think of Christianity, religion, occult, and cults, you could put it this way. There are many religions, and there is the occult, which goes back to Satanism, which ultimately all religions and cults do as well. But the idea there is those things. There's only one true Christianity. That's the Bible and Jesus, salvation, salvation by faith and the truth. And that's why when we study, when we have people join, people join our church, we hit on three things. What do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about Jesus? And what do we believe about salvation? That's the big three things. And uh, we, we want to put all that together. We have seen Ahab and Jezebel. They worship false gods. It was all involved in the occult. And now we turn to Haziah, Ahab's son, and we see him continuing to follow in his father's footsteps. He goes after false gods. He actually goes after a god named Beelzebub. Beelzebub. We'll talk more about it in just a minute. He's in the passage. We'll read it in just a second. We see him following again. And once again, God then, when, when Ahaziah becomes the new king, and he begins to go after false gods, just like his father did, God raises up Elijah again 
to confront him. So just like Elijah confronted Ahab, he's going to confront his son. And then we're going to continue to see this. And, uh, the, you know, it, it's, it's really a, a sad time in the history of the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom never had a believing king, by the way. Never. Southern kingdom had a few good ones, Hezekiah and those guys. But, uh, but the northern kingdom never had a believing king. Can you believe that? All those years, and that's why God allowed them in 722 B.C. to be taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. Now, let me tell you how important a king was. When a person became the king, now Ahaziah becomes king because his father was the king, the king was responsible to do three things. Number one, he was to know the word of God. Now, how did he know the word of God? Guess what? He had his own copy of the scripture. There was a copy of the scripture that every king had himself, and he was supposed to know it and understand it. Second thing, he was to read through the scripture, the word of God, every year. And as the king, he was to make his decisions and plans were to be based on the word. That's what the king was supposed to do. And then the third thing, he was not to be influenced by strong drink. In other words, when he made a decision, it said to him that the king would not, when he's on the throne making decisions, not to be drinking because they were afraid that he might get drunk and make unwise decisions. So the king was supposed to know the Bible and have his own copy, read it and understand it, and make his decisions based on the Bible. Now, do you see that from Ahab? No. Do you see this? We're not going to see this from his son either. In fact, we're not going to see it from any of the kings of the north. And so we're going to see what happens. Well, let me, let me break down this little passage for you. We're only going to look at the first four verses this morning, but we're going to give you the first eight verses. The first is a prophecy concerning Ahaziah. The, it, the, he gets injured. He fall, he's walking through, a, and he falls through a lattice and gets hurt. And he inquires of Baal, Beelzebub. And then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, that's verses 3 and 4. And then later, Elijah gives the truth to the king. And so we're going to see what happens. Now, let me remind you as we start where we are. Ahab was killed in a battle. The word of the Lord was fulfilled. The dogs licked up his blood, just like God said. We then now move into second kings. And this is going to be Ahab's son. And we're going to see a prophecy here by Elijah about the son. So the writer gives us a little background. Look at 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Moab is modern-day Jordan. Uh, you've, you've heard of the Ammonites and the Moabites? Ammonites. What's the capital of Jordan? Does anybody know? What's it called? Ammon, Jordan, Ammonites, does that ring a bell to you? That's where the Ammonites and the Moabites and the electric lights and all those people lived, right? And so this is the, uh, the Moabites are going to rebel against Israel. And so that's just what they give us the background of what's happening here. But let's, let's stop for a second and let's look at this guy named Ahaziah. I want you to... Um, Look at 1 Kings chapter 22. I just want you to see, just flip over there, 1 Kings 22, look at verse 40. I want you to see this real quickly about Ahab dying and Isaiah becoming king. Look at verse 40. It says, so Ahab slept with his fathers. What, what happened to him? What happened to Ahab? He got shot with an arrow and he died, okay? And the blood, dogs leaped up his blood. And Isaiah, his son, became king in his place. Now look down at verse 51. 
Hezziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He, he reigned. How many years does he reign? Two years. You know why? He's going to get hurt, and he's not going to recover. So watch what happens. He did evil. Look at verse, 22, uh, verse 52. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother. That's who? Who is that? Jezebel, and in the way of Joram, the son of Nabat, who caused Israel to sin. So he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. So look, look what he did. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he provoked the Lord. Same sin, same as his father and mother. So if you were living in Israel, you'd say, well, they just changed kings and nothing changed. I mean, still, still bad. And if you're Elijah, all you know is you've already given all your prophecies. You've told what's going to happen to Ahab, and it happened to Ahab. Now, the thing that's going to happen to Jezebel, that's like, you know, we looked at that last week, but that's like 10 or 15 years up in the future. So that hasn't happened yet. But we know it's going to happen because God said it's going to happen, and, of course, it did happen. Now, I want to stop for just a second. And this is why, you know, in, in, when we study, we want to hit on some things that are important. And let's stop and look at some biblical truths, and let's talk about the influence that we have as parents. Now, let me ask you something. What kind of influence did Ahab and Jezebel have on Ahaziah? Obviously a lot, because he did exactly the same thing. He worshipped the same thing. He worshipped Baal, which is Baal's above. We'll talk more about him in just a second. They did exactly the same thing. The character of our children tomorrow depends on what we teach them today. It is, I mean, it is vital. It is vital. And that, let me just say this. Either you influence your children or the world influences your children. That's the way it's going to be. They go, their friends, their world, their, their schooling, the, the government, the, the worldview of this fallen world is either going to influence our children or we're going to influence our children. And that, as parents, we have a great influence. And you see the influence of Ahab and Jezebel on their son. Two things I want us to think about. I want us to talk about the influence of parents and the influence of, of us individually, okay? So let's think about parents and the father and mother. We realize that how we live, how we believe, affects and shapes our children. Uh, you know, we can say a lot of different things, but how we live, what we do, what we do teach them, how we... It, they're going to they're gonna learn from that. They're going to see that. The emphasis on the Word is always... Let me say this, and this is going to sound a little bit bad. Emphasis on the Word is always the Father. It's always the Father. Father, bring up your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. You go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, where it says, Hero is the Lord your God is one God, and you should, you know, love the... And fathers, you teach your children when you sit down, when you get up, when you walk. Put the truths on the, on, the, on the door. Put them on your arms. Put them where they can see them. Make sure your children... And it's the father that's supposed to teach. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy, it's the father. Fathers are to train up the children of the word of the Lord. That doesn't mean the mama does it. But it means the father is the key in the whole thing. You may not realize that. The father is the key in the whole aspect of training them up. New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath or anger, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, we always say, well, it's parents, but who is the lead one? It's the father. Fathers have a huge impact. I can still remember seeing uh, Norman Rockwell's photo, uh, uh, painting, 
Do y'all remember this one? It's the father, he's in the chair. He's got the Sunday newspaper, he's in his pajamas. He's shrunk down as far as he can get. And going out the door is the mama, she's dressed up. You can tell they're going to church. And the two kids and the, the little boys looking back like, why isn't daddy going or why am I going if daddy's not going? That's what he's really thinking. And the father slumped down like this because he doesn't want them, and this is, he doesn't want them seeing he's not going with them. They know he's not going with them because he doesn't ever go with them. And I've had men say to me, look, I don't care that much about it, but my wife takes the kids. That's, that's the key. Long as they get there. It's same as, same as a person told me the other day, it doesn't matter where you go to church as long as you go to church. I said, really? I think it matters where you go. You know? But anyway, that, uh, that you remember that. Here's a statistic that if you've never seen this before, it will shock you. When the father is an active believer in the family, there is about a 75% likelihood that the children will become active believers. That's if the father. If it's only the mother is the active believer, it's 15%. Now, do you understand that? That's why we talk to men all the time. And, and you know, men are unique. Men are unique. Sometimes they, they've grown up and they think that spiritual things are sort of, sort of girly things. When in reality, you want to be a man, be like Jesus. He was the greatest man of all. You know, don't be like Samson. Samson was a powerful man, but he wasn't a great man. Jesus was the greatest. And somebody said, well, I want to be a real man. Okay, be like Jesus. He was the, he was the perfect man. And so, listen, let me just say this to men. Our responsibility is to bring up our kids and to make sure it's happening. And we, our wives, you know, Gene did a whole bunch of stuff with the kids always. But, I mean, I, I have to be there, too. I have to be there. And, and that's the key. And so that guy sitting in that chair with that newspaper, he may think everything's fine because his wife's taking the kids to church, but 50, 85% of them aren't going to continue on. Let me tell you a quick story. We used to have a bus ministry when I was in Emmanuel back before I, when I was coaching at Mississippi State, when I was in Starkville, Mississippi, and this is when everybody had bus ministries. And we would get on a bus on Saturday. I usually didn't because I had sports or something, but some of the other people in the church did. They'd drive the bus in the neighborhood. They'd see the kids. They'd invite the kids to come to church. The kids would run in and ask their parents, could they go to church? The parents would say, yeah. And on Sunday, we'd, they'd come by and pick them up. They'd go, get on the bus. We'd take them to church. we have what they call kids' church. Then we'd take them back home. Guess what we found out? Parents are really happy about that. You know what? They, they're still staying in bed, and they're letting their kids go to church. And you know what we found? That when the kids got past 12 years old, and it was time for them to go to real church, as they called it, they all dropped out. They all dropped out. Over eight years I was there, we had one family come to the church through the bus ministry. Whenever you take away the responsibility from the parents, not only does it relieve the parents' responsibility, and they just go one way, it also cuts the parents out from the children. And, you know, what, what happened, especially with boys, when they get 12 and 13, they quit coming because they'd say, my mom and daddy don't come. My daddy doesn't come. If it's not important to my daddy, it's not important to what? To me. So be careful, daddies. We're, we're kind of the thing. The second thing is just individually, just realize our influence as an individual person, as an individual person. I do like to quote Chuck Colson. Most of you know Chuck Colson. Uh, he's passed away, but he was, he was really a good man. He said this in his book, Against the Night. He talked about the importance of family and training by the parents, especially by the father. He said, the parents, we take these self-centered monsters, 
who spend much of their time screaming and hurling peas on the carpet, and we teach them to share, to wait their turn, to respect others' property. Without this training, children have no moral foundation. They'll have the moral foundation of the world. What's the world's moral foundation? You want them to have that? No, we don't. So in the same way that we see this, you know, Paul talked about being an example, be ambassadors for Christ, be an example. And so our kids, what we teach them and how we live are going to have a huge impact. Now, what did Ahab teach his son and how he lived? He taught him to go to false gods. He taught him not the God of Israel, but Beelzebub. And we're going to see this happen. Now, let's look at verse 2. I just wanted you to see that just for a little bit. But look at verse 2. Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. Now, he hurt himself really bad. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. That's a Philistine god, by the way. That's a Philistine god. Philistines were the sea people. We'll talk more about them later. He says, And find out whether I'll recover from this sickness. So he fell and hurt himself, and he says, he takes some messengers and said, go to Beelzebub, go, probably go down to Ekron where the Philistines are, and talk to the God, of their God, which is Beelzebub, and ask him if I'm going to get well. Now, what would you think? Who do you think you ought to ask? Beelzebub or the true God? I mean, think about it. He's the king of Israel, the northern empire, which is God's people. And instead of going to God, he's been taught by his father to go to false gods. And he's been taught by his mother, the Sidonians and, and all that kind of stuff. And so now Beelzebub, Bel means God, Zebub means flies. And that's where Beelzebub means Lord of the flies, God of the flies. That's what it is. Now, would you want to worship something that's called God of the Flies? I mean, think about this. We're going to see later on in, when we study in 1 Samuel that the, the Philistines uh, steal the ark, and their god's called Dagon. Do you know what their god looked like? Half man, half fish. That's their god. And he's a statue. And they put the ark in the covenant in front of the statue, and they walk in the next morning, and, the ark, and their statue's fallen down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So they had to pick their God back up, you know. And they go, whew, wonder what happened. Wonder why he fell down. Yeah, we'll see when we get to that part. They're worshiping Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. And they're moving from the true God to the occult. By the way, it's the occult. False religion, occult, cults, all of that. Ultimately, everything goes back to worshiping false gods. And to, I mean, listen, how many gods are there? There's only one real God. That's the true God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Everything else are false gods, and they're not really gods. And anything else that you worship separate from the true God, you're worshiping demonic influences and false gods. That's what you're worshiping. And a lot of people say, well, that's not, at least it's not Satan worship. It is Satan worship, no matter what it is. Anything contrary to the true God is worshiping Satan. What does Satan want to be? He wanted to be what? Like God. He wants people to worship him. What did he do to Jesus when, when the temptation came? He said, if you will bow down to me, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. He wants to be worshipped. And so anytime you worship anything other than the true God, you are worshipping Satan and the false gods. And all of this is forbidden by the word of God. So look what happens. So they're going to send messengers to go to the false god, Beelzebub. Now, uh, let me just be honest. Beelzebub can't talk. How's he going to find out? 
You remember what, what the, the writer in, the, in Isaiah and then also in the Psalms said? That these statues, these are made by people. They have eyes, but they can't see, and they have mouths, and they can't talk, and they have ears, and they can't hear, and they have arms, and they can't move. They have feet, they can't move. And he says anybody that, that worships them is made just like them, dumb, you know. So he's going to inquire of a false god, and look what happens, verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, and this angel of the Lord comes to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there's no god in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? I mean, the instructions are go meet the messengers, and what's the, what's the, the, the real question? The real question, is there not a real god? that you have to go to a demon? Listen, I've talked to people, and they've gone to, to people who looked at tarot cards, or they've gone to people uh, that, that, that's going to tell them some kind of future. They, they've gone to people that, that, you know, they say, you know, I can, I can tell you that I can, we can have a seance, and I can tell you about that. Listen, that's all demonic, and stay away from that stuff. Listen, a thing like a Ouija board and Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff, you're just messing with demonic influences right there. You're just messing with demonic influences. You got to stay away from that. And so what Elijah says, so there was no real God that you have to go to a demon to get an answer. And we see people all the time today going to all kind of things. Going to all kind of things. Listen, first of all, I see people, they're so confused. And they'll do anything. And I want to say this one thing, and it's a little harsh, but it's true. I think a lot of the responsibility of people being so confused is because of the churches. Churches are so confused. You rarely hear a clear message of salvation. You rarely hear the teaching of the Bible. You rarely hear anything. There are people who have been in churches all their lives, and you can ask basic questions from the Bible, and they don't even know what you're talking about. They don't even know what you're talking about. I talked to a friend who said he talked to a person who had been going to a church in this town for like 16 years, and he asked this question, do you think that Jesus Christ is God? This person goes to this church for 16 years, and the person said, I don't don't know. I've really never thought about it. You think Jesus is God? Of course he is. I say today that there's so much confusion. And here, here I put this up, and I think the message of churches today is entertainment or prosperity or good feelings. I talked to somebody. They said, I want to go to church, and when I leave, I feel good. Well, if the pastor tells you to clean up your life, you may not feel good, Right? Because the key is, what does the passage say? What does the Bible say? If we're not here to entertain. We're not here to tell you how you're going to have prosper. prosper. Let me tell you, you will be. God blesses those. God takes care of you and blesses you beyond what you could imagine. And good feelings? Good gracious. I, I read something. They, uh, it was like about two years ago. It was in the Stillwater News Press, and it was churches. So I don't know. They didn't call us or anything, but it was churches, and they were saying, what is your goal for the next year? And one of the I had it written down. Uh, our goal is to, um, uh, is to recycle. <laughs> that was their goal for their church was recycling. I thought, oh, that's wonderful. Well, you don't have to be a church to recycle. No wonder people turn to the occult. People want something spiritual. Let me just tell you this. People are spiritual beings. They're going to go to something spiritual. And whether it's the true God or the false God, they're going to go to it. So we better give them the truth because we've got the truth. 
So I call them the old feel-good churches. Be careful. No, I look what he says. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord. This is the Lord. Go tell. Go tell him. You shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then Elijah departed. So Elijah just shows up and says, all right, let me stop you for a minute. So tell the king, is there no God, a true God in Israel that you have to go to a demon? And he says, go tell him he will never get up. He will die. And then he walks off. They don't even know who he is, by the way. They get back and say, we saw some guy with like a lot of hair and everything. And he was, he was telling us, telling us this. And we'll see what happens. There. They turn around and go back. They don't ever go to the God of Ekron, by the way. They come back and he asks, where are you being? Why did you? Uh, yeah, surely you ain't made the trip. No, we hadn't. This guy with a bunch of hair and stuff told us to stop. And he said, you're not going to make it. <laughs> you, know, you know, you can almost feel like those people. Every time those guys prophesy against me, it's never good. And it's not because they're bad. They're bad. Well, let me give you some applications before we go. Oh, the king, he says, you will not get well but you will die. So application, let's realize that parental influence, the parental influence we have in the lives of our children. Let's think about it. Parents or guardians, mamas, grandmamas, granddaddies, there's some of you, there are some of you who raised your kids and then you're raising your kids' kids. You're amazing. You're amazing. You know, you get a little bit older. There's a reason God didn't give us kids when we're like 70 because you know what? We wear out, right? They run in and you can't run with them. Right? I still run with them but not very far. Okay, all right. So let's realize the parental influences we have in our children. Let's share with our kids, the children, the way of salvation by faith in Christ for eternal life and say it over and over again because they're going to get a different message from everybody else. They're going to get a different message than anybody else. So give it to them. Give it to them clear. And then the second thing is teach our children the truths for living the Christian life. We've got to teach them the truths. We gotta tell them how to live. We gotta live righteously in God. We gotta uh, put them back, put them back into the book. As they used to say, they used to say that we ought to be people of the book. That's the Bible. We ought to go back to the scripture. And then the third thing, as parents, let's be godly examples. Let's live it out. Let's do it. We can do it. We can do it. You can make the impact. You can change the world. You can change the next generation. You can help our kids. Because listen, we're looking at the world. Is it a lot better or a lot worse than it used to be? It's a lot worse, and it's not getting any better. In fact, I think it's getting worse. Somebody, we got to protect our kids. we got to train them because they're not growing up in what I grew up in. They're growing up in something totally different, and you, and you too. So we got to do that. we got to be examples. The second thing, let's stay away from false religions, the occult, and cults. Be real careful. Be careful. People say, I'm going to go to a palm reader and see what they say. Get away from that mess. I'm going to go to a seance person. I'm going to play that game. I'm going to, I'm going to get the Ouija board out and play with it. I'm going to do, listen, get rid of that stuff and don't get close to it at all. The third thing is let's live our lives based on the Word of God. That's the thing. Teaching our kids, knowing the Word, living our lives based. And then last but not least, let's be a church that stands for God's truth. Let's do it. That foundation is the teaching of the Word of God. It is not recycling. It is teaching the Word of God. It is standing strong that the Word of God is taught, whether it's from there or SBI class or grow groups or Bible studies or whatever it is. The Word of God is the key, and that's got to be the foundation. And then second, we've got to make disciples. That's what we've got to do. Listen, I'm going to challenge you. 
If you're not a disciple, I want to help you be a disciple. I want to help you become a disciple. And we've got a plan and a way to do that. If you want to, let me know. Second, if you are a disciple, you need to be making disciples. Because you have to be a disciple to make disciples. So that's the plan. When we challenge all of us, that's what our role of the church... When we talk about our purpose, our plan, and our process, what's our purpose? Make disciples. What's the plan? Equip the believers to do the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. What's the process? Gathered and scattered. That's what we do as a church. So let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this first part. And we see the role of parents and and how strong it is. And and we want to teach our children. And we want to be godly examples. And we want to love them and and, uh, uh, share the greatest message of all with them. And Lord, we want to be godly examples as well. And Lord, we want to stay away from uh, anything other than the truth of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And let us base our lives on Scripture. And then finally, Lord, as a church, we want to stand, we want to always go back to the Bible and stand on the Bible. And yet, also, Lord, we want to make disciples. And that means every one of us in this room, we want to become a disciple so that we can make disciples. And Lord, may we all do that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, go to girl groups.